Hey, Jeremy here, one of the pastors at The Way Church, and want to welcome you to today's sermon. Our heart for you and our prayer for you is that you're strengthened as you listen, and we always hope that in all the teaching, you would be pointed towards the person of Jesus. John 15, 1 to 8 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as also I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me, my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Living God, Father, our very, very good gardener, we come before you as your children, as your people, And we know that you're here among us, but we just want to say it, that you're welcome here. We welcome your presence here among us. What a gift it is to be able to gather together. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you see fit to teach us. And so now, in these next moments together, as we open your word, I pray, Father, that you would be our teacher, that it would be your words who form us and shape us. So we just submit ourselves to you. We say that we love you. And I do pray that the words out of my mouth this morning and the meditation of all of our hearts together would be so very pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, on December the 29th, 2011, I got on an airplane in Mobile, Alabama. That's where I was living at the time. I got on a plane with my three very young boys. They were six, three, and one at the time. And we flew here to Vancouver. And my husband, Ryan, had um, already moved here four months prior. So he was uh, waiting for us on the other side of customs there at at the YVR airport. And um, if you're familiar at all with the YVR airport, you kind of come down an escalator, you know, and then there's this, this like, area where you wait in line to go through the customs um, side and, and get your baggage. And so I remember coming down that escalator with my boys and, and getting in line and, and standing there, and I was thinking, but also kind of half praying, please don't let us in. <laughs> like, Please tell us just to go back where we came from. Tell us that you do not need nor do you want immigrants from Alabama. Like, just stay. Just go back. Um, but the thing was, I, I knew that God had called us here. I knew it. He'd, he'd confirmed it to both Ryan and I many, many times. And, and I knew that he'd called us here, but for the life of me, 
I was really struggling to figure out why. Why did you call us here? I know you've called us, but why? Why? The thing was is that I, even though I was not originally from Alabama, Alabama suited me just fine because it was warm there, okay? There was a lot of sun. There was a lot of heat. I liked it just fine. My parents also ended up moving there, and so um, my parents lived like a mile away from us, and my mom was very involved in helping me just, you know, uh, she was just a great grandma and helping with the kids, and so life was very good. It was very comfortable, if I could call it that. Now, please don't get me wrong, I love Vancouver now. I love Canada, I love all of it. I even love it on the days that it rains, like I love it. But then, at 28 years old, with three little kids in tow, where I was having to leave my family, leave my country, leave my friend group, and if you are in that stage of life or you've been in that stage of life where you're in your 20s and you find your circle, if you know what I'm talking about, and you've got little kids and you're kind of doing life all together, it's a pretty special thing. We had our friend group. We had our circle. We had a church that we loved. We loved our home. We loved our friends, and we didn't want to leave any of that, or I didn't want to. I didn't want to do any of it where I had to pick up and start all over again in a new place. And so as I stood there in the customs line at the YVR airport, literally, like, looking for the meanest possible Border Patrol agent, you know what I'm saying? Like, if I could just get in their line, they'll maybe ask too many questions. Um, as I stood there, really just begging the Lord for a Hail Mary, the question that was just kind of uh, on repeat in my heart was, why? Why? Why do you have us here? Why did you uproot us? Why did you send us here? Why did you send us so far away? I know that for many of you, you've moved many times in your life. This is just my story. We all have different things, right? This is my thing, and it was just hard. Um, spoiler alert, the customs people did let us in uh, quite easily, actually. Felt like you could have probably asked a few more questions, um, but they let us in. And that day began a very hard leg of my own personal journey, because moving seemed to affect everything. It definitely took a toll on our finances. I don't know if you've ever moved in between countries before. It's real expensive, just heads up. <laughs> took a toll on our marriage. Took a toll on our dreams. We had to lay so many dreams down. Took a toll on everything. And I think that as I reflect on it now, I think that the hardest part about it is that I felt for the first time in my adult life, I felt that I was very far from the Lord but I was doing all the things I'd been doing, all the things I knew to do, but I still felt far from him. I felt completely uprooted from a place that I loved by a God I loved and replanted in unfamiliar foreign soil, literally, and replanted in a place that I just flat out didn't want to be, but I knew I was supposed to be. I was trying to reconcile with that. And I wonder, I, I, I would risk uh, betting that many of us have um, felt maybe something similar, where we felt, out of a felt called out of a place where we were quite comfortable, where life was maybe pretty good. And if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't experienced that in your walk with him yet, you probably will at some point. 
And I don't just mean called out of a physical location. It could be. Sometimes it is, but not always. I'm, I'm more um, talking about those times in our lives where we sense the very distinct feeling that God is calling us out of one thing and into something else. Maybe even that it's the sense in which you feel like he's moving his hand off of one thing that was a good thing and moving it on to just a different thing. Not a bad thing necessarily, just different. The times when it feels hard and uncomfortable. Not the adventurous type of times. You know, that, oh, this is going to be fun. Like, we're, I'm going on an adventure, and this feels like God's calling me to something, like, really fun. I'm talking more about those times where you have that feeling in your, just deep in your, in your gut, maybe. Like, what are you up to, God? I know you're doing something, but I don't know what it is. Why would you have me here? Or why would you send me there? So we just read John 15, and I'm going to read it again. I want us to read it again together. And as we read it, I want you to notice with me, just in, in your mind, just take note of how many times the word remain comes up, okay? So let's read it together. Jesus is the one speaking these words, and he says this, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Eight verses. And in those verses, Jesus says, remain eight times. Which should cause us, I think, to pay attention. When we come to scripture and we read a text uh, and we see a word repeated over and over again, these, this is just kind of one of those um, moments where you go, oh, what is, this, what, what, what is this person getting at? In this case, what is Jesus getting at? And that word remain here in the original Greek, so the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and so in the original Greek, that word is an imperative. And all that means is that Jesus here is giving a command, not a suggestion. So in John 15, Jesus is issuing a command. He was speaking to his disciples. He was issuing a command to them, and now by extension to all of us here in our 21st century room, he's, he's saying essentially, I am commanding you, not suggesting, I am commanding to you, stay connected to me. Abide in me. That's another word that's used here, depending on what translation you might read. Abide is the other word that's used here. Jesus says, remain attached to me, continue to be present to me. And this is intriguing to me because this command is not a, a fair weather command. In other words, what Jesus isn't saying here is, hey, remain attached to me as long as things feel good to you. 
or remain attached to me as long as you can understand what it is that I'm up to, or remain attached to me as long as you agree with the way that your life is unfolding. He tells us to remain attached to him and not just in the good times, in the times when it feels easy, but also in the hard times, in the seasons of hurting, in the seasons of loss and loneliness and confusion. In other words, stay um, attached to him on the days when your job feels very fulfilling, but also on the days when your job feels incredibly draining. Stay attached to him on the days when money is good and on the days when there just is no money, you know? Stay attached to him on the days when your children are awesome and parenting feels very rewarding and on the days when your children are not awesome and parenting feels borderline impossible. Stay attached to him on the days when your marriage feels beautiful and things feel like they're in a rhythm and a cadence, but also stay attached to him on the days when your marriage feels broken on the days when singleness feels fulfilling and on the days when it feels very lonely. Highs and lows at all times and in all ways, this is a command, this is an imperative command, not a suggestion that as his followers, we are to remain attached to him at all times. And so if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've given your life to him, then remaining attached to him, the way I read it, the way I see it, is just not optional. It's not optional. And so the question I have, and this is how, this is how I approach scripture, okay? This is when I read um, my Bible in the mornings or, or just at any time, the way I often approach scripture is I will read something and I'll go, especially if it's a command and like an imperative like this, and I'll go, but how? Like I, I see what it's saying, remain in him, abide in him, but how am I supposed to do that? like in my everyday living life, like as I get up from my couch here and I'm spending time and it's been beautiful with you, Lord, but now I'm about to go make breakfast for my kids and they're complaining. How do I keep remaining in you? Or then I'm gonna go to work or then I'm gonna go do this or that. Like in my actual 24 hours of a day, how do I do this thing? And so that's the question that I want us to consider in our time together today. How are you and I to actually do this? How are we supposed to remain attached to Jesus, to abide in him? Look back at verse one with me, because I think that verse one offers us an, uh, at least one answer to this question. In verse one, Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. There is a gardener in this story. And if you are uh, familiar with the story, I just wonder, and I'm not trying to read my own experience into this, but I just wonder if often this kind of gets overlooked. When I, I did grow up in the church, and um, I have usually heard the focus when I've read these texts, um, or this, this part of Jesus' teaching, I've usually heard the focus being on Jesus is the vine, and we're the branches, and that's all true, and that's good, but Jesus also tells us here right away in verse one that there is a gardener in this story. And other translations, depending on what translation you're using, uh, they don't use the word gardener. Other translations use the word vine dresser. I love that term, vine dresser. And I think it's actually the most uh, accurate description or accurate translation of what Jesus was getting at. 
because most scholars agree that Jesus was describing a, uh, a grapevine here in John 15. So our question, how are we to remain attached to Jesus? How are we to remain attached to the vine? I want to suggest to you this morning that the way we remain attached to him is by trusting the work of our vine dresser. We remain attached to him by trusting the work that God as our good vine dresser is doing in our lives. Um, I've been studying John 15 for the better part of two years now, which feels wild. It's just, it just captivated my attention. And, and so I've just studied it and I've, I have gone and like done crazy um, research and, and stuff. And I've gotten very curious in that time about what exactly it is that a vine dresser does. Like if you and I decided we like left here today and we're like, you know what? That sounds like an interesting occupation. How would I go become a vine dresser in a vineyard? It's a real job. It's not too late. We can all go do this, okay? Um, but this, so I got interested in all of this and I want to read you, this is a real description of a vine dresser, okay? This is not written by a Christian. This is just a regular JD, a regular job description of a vine dresser in a vineyard. But here I want to, I'm going to ask you to do this with me though. I'm going to ask you as I read it, and I think we're going to have it on the screen, but think of it through the lens, if you will, of God as the vine dresser, okay? So here's what it says. The production of fine wine starts not with the plant, but with the skilled vine dresser. I love that. Vine dressers are agricultural specialists who oversee the planting, pruning, and tending of grapevines in a vineyard. The job of a vine dresser is physically demanding and tiring. They must, and here's what they actually have to do, they must maintain proper soil. We're going to talk about that in a minute. They have to irrigate. They weed. They fertilize. They protect the branches that are beginning to bear fruit from birds and animals. And finally, they must prune. As God is our gardener, as our vine dresser, he does a lot of things with us in that role. But for the sake of time this morning, and we could talk about each one of those things, and I think it's so fascinating, but for the sake of time, I just want to talk about two of those things that God does in his role as vine dresser in our lives. Two things that help us remain attached to Jesus. God is our vine dresser. First, he plants us, and then he prunes us. Plants us and prunes us. That's what we're going to talk about. So the first thing that the vine dresser does, he plants us. And I found this so interesting. Okay, did you know that vine dressers, they do not just plant vines in, in any old places. They don't just plant them anywhere. So uh, the kind of soil that a grapevine needs in order to thrive, in order to do its best, um, isn't just nice, smooth soil. Like, we're not going to just, you know, Lowe's or Home Depot and buying a bag of soil and planting a grapevine in it. You could. But in order to thrive, in order for it to do its best, grapevines actually need rocky soil. Think uh, gravelly kind of soil. So the environment in which a grapevine thrives best is actually on a, a sloped hillside with rocky soil. You can bring to your imagination, if you've ever seen pictures or maybe you've been there, of, um, of uh, Italy or, or Napa Valley or the Okanagan is actually a beautiful example of um, a slopey hillside with rocky soil. Now, here's the thing, though. Grapevines, as I mentioned a second ago, you can plant them in just regular soil. Like, if we wanted to go home today and just, well, not today, 
it's January. Do it in the spring, maybe. I actually don't know what time of the year is best, to be honest. That's one thing I failed to do in my research. But at the point at which it's best to plant it, you should. Maybe it is January. Anyways, let's, let's circle back around, get back on track. Okay. Grapevines can do well in soil, so if you plant, or in regular soil, so if you did decide, I just want to plant a grapevine in my backyard or on my deck, maybe, on my patio, you could. You could. And it would probably do okay. But if you give grapevines an easy environment where there's no rocks, nothing to challenge it, what ends up happening is it takes the vegetative route. So in other words, what it ends up doing is it ends up making a whole lot of really big, beautiful leaves, but it produces nearly no fruit, no grapes. So when you're looking at it, it looks beautiful. It is just a beautiful plant to look at. It's nice and fluffy and green, and it looks awfully healthy when you're just looking at it. But when you get up underneath there, there's no grapes, no fruit. I want to read you an article from a website. They rate wines, and uh, it's a pretty reputable website, and they, they compare wines, rate wines. And so I found one article to be so fascinating, and the title of the article is this, Why Does Bad Soil Make for Great Wine? I love that title. Why does bad soil make for great wine? This is what it says. Why do we need slate and sand and clay and rocky, precipitous hillsides to produce wines of character. What a great line, wines of character. Can a grapevine just kick back in some decent soil and grow well-rested, plump little berries? Sure, it can, but not if you want good wine. There are a few reasons that bad soil yields higher quality grapes. In poor soil or rocky soil, roots have to work harder to gather nutrients. So when a grapevine has to struggle, it reprioritizes. And instead of creating a beautiful but undrinkable canopy of green leaves, all of its energy goes into root production and into the making of grapes. Here's what I want us to gather from this. That a grapevine needs rocks. It needs to struggle in order to thrive. And listen, a good vine dresser, God is our good vine dresser. He knows this. And so he plants a, a grapevine where it will be forced to struggle its way into fruitfulness. But here's what I wonder. I wonder if sometimes where the grapevine is planted, if the grapevine doesn't just think that the, that the vine dresser is just out to kill it. Like, where you have planted me is killing me. Like, this is, like, I knew, I knew it would be a struggle. I knew it would be hard. But this level of hard, I didn't bank on this. I didn't count on this. I wasn't prepared for this. And here I am, truth be told, I don't feel all that fruitful. I don't know if you've ever felt that way before. But what I want to encourage you with is this, that the Lord is our good, the good vine dresser, the good gardener, he actually plants us in sloped, rocky soil on purpose because he knows, he knows that's where you and I will ultimately thrive, that that is where we're going to bear the most fruit. Now, please don't misunderstand, uh, misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I'm, not, I, I'm talking about difficult soil. He'll plant us in difficult soil. I'm not talking about deadly soil. 
Like sometimes we can get ourselves in a mess. Sometimes we can, um, we can get ourselves into, into deadly soil. The Lord doesn't call any of us to that. But he's not afraid to put us in difficult places if it means that it's going to bear much fruit in our lives. And I want to suggest to you that God is our good gardener. He does not desire for us, for any of us, to just live our whole lives on the path of least resistance, on the easiest path possible. As much as that might be our inclination, listen, I know it is mine. I, I'm, generally speaking, it's like the easy route just feels so good. But that's not what he desires for any of us. He doesn't desire for all of us to just live our, our whole lives on comfortable or incomfortable stoneless soil. Why? Because he does not want us bearing a bunch of leaves, you guys. He wants us to bear fruit to his glory for his namesake. Beth Moore, she says this, um, she says, we might be inclined to wonder sometimes whether the ground where we're planted is trying to cultivate us or kill us. Welcome to the fruitful vineyard where grapes grow only in tension. God does plant us in hard places. I have lived it. I know it. But it's not to kill us. It's to cultivate us. I could have never dreamed that on the other side of us moving here, that I would experience the faithfulness of Jesus I had just not known up to that time in our lives, a deeper level of intimacy with him. I could not have known standing there at the YVR airport of the miracle stories I would one day have, of getting to watch him uh, redeem so many dreams that we laid down, surpass expectations, answer prayers. He did so many things. I couldn't have known that day that our marriage wasn't just going to make it, but it was going to get better because we had been uprooted and planted somewhere else. I could not have known that the very best days of our lives were on the other side of being taken out of our very lovely but rockless, easy, comfortable soil and replanted in the rocky, slopey soil of Vancouver. And what I want to gently suggest to us away, church family, I don't know where you are in your walk or in your life right now, but your current reality may feel very rocky. You may be in a season going, I do not know why I'm here, and it feels too hard. And I want to say to you that you can trust our vine dresser. He has not forgotten you. He has planted you with great care and intention and purpose, and he has you where you are for a reason. And more than that, he's not just committed to seeing you make it. He's committed to seeing you thrive, to seeing you bear much fruit. Don't despise the rocky foreign soil. And I say that from experience. I had to work through some um, stuff in my own heart. Don't despise the rocky foreign soil. It may very well be the place where God writes some beautiful stories in your life. So that's the first thing God as our vine dresser does. He, he plants us. Second thing I want to talk about that he does, he prunes us. He prunes us. So you, you probably know what pruning is. It's snipping away. And I think that pruning could be another thing that feels an awful lot like it's killing us. Um, pruning, generally speaking, I think it never feels good to the plant. So I want to tell you, I learned that pruning happens to a grapevine for three primary reasons. Um, this is not an exhaustive list, but just three primary reasons. 
So a vine dresser will prune a branch, first of all, if it's injured. And maybe that feels a little bit backwards, like I'm injured, you're going to come along, and you're going to snip away even more. Uh, but I found this, I, I found this in the vine dresser's manual. This is my favorite resource that I use. It's from the 1800s. It's just, is illustrated. It's awesome. And uh, this is what it says. It says, branches that have been injured by outside forces, such as hail and storm, must be trimmed back still so as to provide for new growth to the injured part. And the line that, ca- that stuck out to me when I read that is that line of being injured by outside forces. And I found that interesting because I wonder if some of us have been injured by some outside forces. Like, okay, all right, I'm here, I'm planted in the rocky soil, don't love it, it's hard, but I'm here, I'm planted, I'm doing the thing, I'm following you, and then for no reason of your own, you're just there being planted, trying to be faithful, something happens, and you get injured, maybe by some people, maybe by a job, friends, family, maybe even the church, but you're injured by some things that are just out of your control, and you're hurting, And you're maybe wondering why it feels like they're there right in the midst of your hurt, of your injury, that that God would come along and snip away even more at the very place where it's most tender in your life. And here is what I know to be true about a vine dresser, is that a vine dresser who does not care at all for his vines, for the branches on his vines, he'll just let it heal any old way. You're injured, it'll heal eventually, just walk away. But a good vine dresser will come along and snip away even more because he is committed to not just letting the branches heal, but ensuring that they will heal well. And that one day, in the very place where they were injured, they will be able to not just have um, good healing, but in the very place where they were excuse me, injured, they'll be able to bear fruit in that same place. A good vine dresser, our good vine dresser, he's committed to seeing us heal well and to one day bear fruit again in the very place where we've been hurt. Second reason that a vine dresser prunes is if a branch isn't bearing fruit. If it isn't bearing fruit. In verse two, Jesus says this. He says, the gardener cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And I just, maybe it's obvious, but or maybe it's obvious to you, but we are meant to bear fruit. I kind of grew up in an environment, and I love, um, I love the way I grew up, but there was this pendulum swing, I think, um, away from any talk of pride. So talking about fruit in your life was like a little too prideful. You didn't talk about that. But it's just been in my adult years where I'm like, well, wait, Jesus says it. We're, we are meant to bear fruit. Now, the caveat here, though, is that we are meant to bear fruit, but to his glory, to his namesake, to make the name of Jesus known, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about bearing fruit for him, for him to be glorified. And we are meant to bear fruit in our lives. I've said it a second ago, but we're not meant to just bear a whole bunch of leaves. He does not want us just looking pretty and tidy and um, give the illusion of fruitfulness on the outside of our lives, but then you get up underneath our lives, you get close, and there's just no grapes. I brought a picture. Um, this is from my phone, you guys. It's, it's, uh, we, I took it. I don't know. I'm, like, it's, I'm not trying to brag, but um, I don't know. Dan Rowe, who's in charge, texted me yesterday. He was like, that is a really good picture. I was like, <laughs> Thank you. If you're looking for, anyways, 
Um, no, <clears throat> it, was, it was fully an accident. But we went to a vineyard earlier this year, and so I was asking all kinds of questions. I was the most annoying, I'm sure, patron they've ever had because I was like, tell me about the soil composition. And anyways, so we, um, we went out there and they showed me this. Like when, if you could zoom out, you would see that there's the, the, the green leaves, but, but you can see from a distance the fruit. You don't even have to get up close to it to see it. And I wanted to put this picture in front of us to show us, you guys, this is what we're meant to bear. We are meant to bear good, beautiful fruit. But God in his goodness, if we are not bearing this kind of fruit, if we're not bearing fruit because he's good, God comes along and he prunes off the things that are preventing us from um, being fruitful like this. And listen, sometimes the things that he prunes off in our lives, they're not like bad things. Leaves are not bad. But if leaves are preventing the sun from being able to get to those grapes, you gotta move them. They got to get moved. So sometimes God comes along and he prunes things off in our lives, not because they're bad, but because for whatever reason, those things in that season are preventing our fruitfulness. And it can hurt. But because God is committed to seeing us bear good fruit, um, he will cut away some things, if it mean, even, even things we'd actually really like to hold on to, if it means our fruitfulness. So here's a third reason that pruning happens. A third reason that pruning happens is so that a, a branch can bear more fruit. So I found this very interesting. I've said that many times, but this is also interesting to me. Um, I found out that pruning gets more intense the older that a grapevine gets. So mature branches must be pruned hard in order to achieve maximum results. So if you're here and you would perhaps call yourself a mature branch, you might be like, well, that doesn't feel awesome. That feels terrible. But here's, here's what I was thinking about. I, I read that and I kind of chuckled to myself thinking, ah, but also it filled me with so much hope because I don't know how long the Lord's going to have me on this earth. But I like to think that as long as I live, the Lord's never done with me. He's never done with you. That if I'm in my 90s, that the Lord's going, yeah. And so let's keep bearing fruit. Let's keep, I'm not done with you yet. I love that God doesn't look at older mature branches and just go, well, I guess it's just time to, to dig you out. Or to say, you know what, now's the season. You might as well just bear some leaves. You've done good. You don't need to do any more fruit. You just go play pickleball for a while. Like, no. No, I love that he's like, no, bear fruit for as long as you have breath in your lungs. We are designed, this, well, the picture's gone, but we are designed to bear fruit for as long as we have breath in our lungs. That is what we were meant to do. That's what we were made for. And I love that it's for the duration of our lives, for the long haul, for however long he would have you and I here. And we don't know how long that is. But for however long he has us here, he is committed to you, to seeing you bear fruit in your life. Jared, you can come up to the keys now. And in just a second, we're going to close, and Chris is going to, he's going to come up and lead us in a time of communion and prayer. But before he comes up, I, I just want to, I want to tell you one last interesting thing that I learned. And it's this, I found out that grapevines <clears throat> 
do not necessarily need other grapevines near them in order to um, in order to pollinate. They don't need other grapevines nearby to pollinate. They're called uh, self-pollinating. And so uh, there are some species of, okay, now I'm treading on, you know, crazy territory here because I don't know all the lingo, but um, there are some species of uh, trees and such where you actually need two in order for them to survive. Uh, but that's not a grapevine. Grapevines, you got one, it'll do fine. But, and, I, and I, here's the thing, I wanted to use an analogy where I was like, we really need each other to survive. So it ruined that analogy. We can survive on our own. We don't need other people. <laughs> Some of you are like, thank God. <laughs> Grapevines can survive on their own. But, big, big caveat here. I found out that grapevines actually bear much more fruit when they're surrounded by other grapevines when they're planted near other grapevines. And in fact, it can increase their fruit production by as much as 50%. So, we may not need each other to survive, but y'all, we need each other in order to thrive, in order to bear more fruit. And we need all of the generations, older generation, mature branches, those who have weathered some storms and have remained faithful. Oh, it brings tears in my eyes to think we need you. We need your stories. We need to hear how did you stay faithful to the Lord for the long haul? And were there seasons of faithlessness that you walked through or, or um, moments of hardship? How did you weather it? How did you raise your kids? How did you weather the storms of life and make it? Tell us your stories. We want to know. We want to learn. And we want to see how God keeps bearing fruit in your life. Would you teach us and show us? Last night I was on the ferry with um, Daryl and Sharon, and I just asked them a question. It was, you know, how did you handle this fill in the blank? And they just sat there and pastored me, both of them together. And I was thinking about that this morning, thinking we need those stories and we should keep asking to hear those stories. Middle-aged generation, I'm including myself in there. I pray that we would be willing to listen and learn from the older generation, while at the very same time, like listening to the curiosity and the dreams of the younger generation of the way that they would do it and giving them opportunities to step up in the church and outside the church. I pray we'd be bridge builders that I pray that we would keep running our race very well and doing well with the baton that's been handed to us, but be so faithful to pass it on and not begrudge passing it on either, to pass away whatever it is that we've been given. Younger generation, which I would argue is probably most of our church. And I say younger, if you're younger than me, then you're younger. So <clears throat> we need you. We need you. And speaking like a mama bear for a moment, our prayer is that you would be found faithful in your generation. That you would find yourselves both broken and built up in the presence of God, in the midst of the people of God. I pray that our ceiling would somehow be your floor, that you would do better than we ever did, that you would love the body of Christ, that you would love the church, and you'd be faithful to carry the baton of faith forward into days that many of us will never live to see. 
remaining attached to Jesus was never ever meant to be done in a siloed off kind of way. It was always meant to be done in the context of community, which by the way is why we love small groups so much. Small groups is a great way to experience all of this. So how do we remain attached to Jesus? How do we abide in him in our everyday lives and the good, the bad, and everything that we will encounter in 2024 and in the years to come? Friends, we trust the work of God, our vine dresser. We trust where he plants us and when he prunes us. Thanks for taking time to listen to today's message. If you're interested in learning more about The Way Church or if you wanna get connected in any way, you can go to our website, thewaychurch.ca, and we would love to hear from you. Again, our prayer was that you were strengthened through today's teaching. Trust that you were, and much love from our team to you.